The Sonic Light Podcast, this is Past Master Moore calling in with my critique of episode 86 entitled High 12 International. Guests for Rick Santel and Steve Morrison. Before I go through my list, I'm going, I'm going to save Larry for last because this is probably one of the most uh, foolish episodes he's ever starred in. Rick and Steve were very good. I learned a lot about High 12. I didn't know it, and I'm a member of the... Uh, James Buchanan chapter. I enjoyed Michelle Snyder's symbologist segment. And once again, Jim Stevens' Lodge business brief was excellent. And now to you, Larry. Let's see, in the very beginning, when you, start, when you first started, Pete said, Larry, wake up. So again, you must have been sleeping. Uh, during Rick Santella's interview, he did mention the only requirement for high 12s to be a master mason. Of course, you must have been sleeping because then you asked if there was an age requirement. I can't believe you asked the question, does PA Grand Lodge recognize New Jersey? And finally, at the end, that joke about why do master masons wear aprons? And you said to hide their tools. I don't know. You know what? I'm no longer going to call you a putz. You are a dunderhead. Talk to you guys later. Bye. From the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to episode 90. 90? 90? No, no way. Noventa. 90? Noventa. No. When did that happen? That's 10 younger than you, Larry. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight we're having a... Ve- I'm, I'm very excited about tonight's show. Uh, we have... Um, we're going to be discussing... Dude, he's got notes. on. The, uh, he's got an outline <laughs> here. We we're so to, in trouble. We may have to slap him. I we are know. so. In okay, trouble. yeah, it's disturbing when our when our guest does more on the more prep than us. and more he has more internet experience than we do. <laughs> That's easy, and I'm well, better looking too. Oh, oh. hey, uh, tonight's topic we're going to talk about. We're, brother Douglas, Ma- Doug, yep. Doug Maidenford, uh, is with us, and we're going to talk about groundhog lodges. Uh, if you're not from Central Pennsylvania or Eastern Pennsylvania, you're going to be like. You may know about Punks and Tony Phil because they throw them on the news once a year for five minutes. And there's that movie. Right. That's true. But he's going to go into the whole, the whole German influence and the Masonic connection and all kinds of good stuff. Um, so anyway, our, our show is brought to you by our Patreons. Uh, if you want to go to patreon.com slash Masonic Lake Podcast and you can 
toss us a buck or two a month because this stuff ain't free. One dollar <laughs> a month. One dollar, people. Let's, One dollar. Let's Come on. It. Come on. You can do this. To help this can. magic. This Continue. magic only happens because of your generosity. Uh, so also on tonight's episode, you're probably going to hear from Moyer because he sent me something. Oh, God. I'm sure he's going to be miserable. Uh, Michelle Snyder confirmed that she sent us in something. Yay. Jim Stevens? Yes or no? Yep. Oh, yes. That's a yes. It's a full-blown show. Yeah, we have a real show again. So, uh, Doug, what we usually do, and you know because unfortunately you listen to us. Uh, and you still came on. Doug is a top fan. <laughs> I, t- I did. I'm, I'm trending right now. Right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> trending. Uh, Tim, we'll start with you. What have you been up to since we've been here last? Uh, since we were here last, uh, attended a meeting of chapter with Samuel C. Perkins, Royal Arts Chapter Number 209, uh, where um, we had a really good review of a program by our um, new high priest, um, Lucius Caritas AMD Chapter 453 had its ladies' night. Uh, that was very well attended. Um, and that's about it over the last couple of weeks, other than chasing down people for lodge dues. Nice. Hunt them down like dogs. That's good. Jack? We're down to, we're down to, this is the lowest we've ever been at this point in terms of NPDs. Nice. You're pretty low. I, that's good. low. So I, what did I do? I, chapter? Did chapter. I missed an extra meeting here at Lodge, which I'm sorry that I missed, but uh, we have a new guy uh, coming in and somebody else that I've been mentoring got his second degree. He was, it was funny because he's been working really hard to learn the oath and obligation for, for the first degree so that he could get his second degree. And when he got into the preparing room, uh, which is uh, a, a thing that nobody needs to know about, he said to his guide, when, do I, when, am, I, when am I going to recite this? And his guide <laughs> said, uh, you, you're not going to. You don't have to do that. And he was really bummed. He was, totally, he was totally stoked to get out and show everything that he had learned to, to his brothers. And I said, well, you know, you're really only about two days away from being able to confer a short second. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we can work on that if you want, and you can do it right there. But, uh, but anyway, he was, uh, he was very excited, and I'm sorry that I missed his big day. But uh, we'll be there for his third. And other than that, we've got Grotto coming up on Sunday and Tall Cedars. I am going to finally make a Tall Cedars meeting. Hey, so no. blow the trumpets and, and You did whatever. something else in the last couple of weeks. You made a road trip. <sighs> I made a road trip to where Maryland. Did, where did I go? To oh, Maryland. Has that been since the, our last about, recording? I think you were on the way to, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. I went to the Grand Lodge of Maryland. Um to visit our in, friends. Is that in a trailer park or? Um, no, it's at the Walmart uh, okay. in in uh, Dundalk. It's um, <laughs> we went down to visit our friends at Amicable St. John's Lodge, and they were installed. I did talk about did this. Talk, yeah, I did talk maybe about this. So I won't bore you with this again. Other than that, I've been in a more or less of a Masonic coma. So, so I did forget one thing. Oh, geez. I hear you. We had a we had a presentation of our new district deputy, and I would be in trouble if I didn't mention that. So. Uh, Jeffrey R. Miller is the new district deputy grandmaster for the third Masonic district, and his presentation was this past Sunday. Well, welcome to the team. Yes. <laughs> Just got to get a shout out there. Yeah, you suck up. I, I, I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> Dreadful suck up. Oh, my God. Brother Doug. <laughs> yes, sir. Help us. Um, 
you hail from the greater Lock Haven State College metropolitan area. That is currently where I am located, yes. Okay. But I do not hail from there because they would never admit to that. Um, okay. No, but I hail from Northern Forever Berks conceals County. conceals it. Northern okay. Berks County. <laughs> so... Um, what have you been up to in the past couple weeks, uh, well, Masonically? really active in our Yorkite bodies. We had a chapter meeting. Uh, we're starting up the degrees again. So in February, we'll be doing the Mark, Ma- uh, the most excellent master. We did the Mark a couple days, a couple months ago, Royal Arch, and then hopefully push right into commander orders uh, in the spring here and get some new Sir Knights and some new Royal Arch Masons. Uh, and our council is chugging along, I guess we'll say it at that. But okay. Larry, have you done anything except show up maybe once in a while? <clears throat> That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Not really. Missed chapter, though. I Missed chapter because I had the wrong date on my phone calendar. <laughs> I had a Wednesday. It's the same so day every month. So if this were video, you could see the look of total, like, belief. <laughs> How many eyes just rolled like slot day. machines? <laughs> right, yeah. So not only did I have it for the 15th, I had it for the 16th. So I was confused. I didn't get there. Well, if you would have sh- shown up for council, yeah, at least we would have fed you. <laughs> I'm not a member of council. Well, like I said we would have fed you. Um, well, you could have been. We ma- had the Royal Master Mason degree. We could have fudged the numbers. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we did the uh, we put on the Royal Master Mason degree, and uh, Tim, you'll appreciate this. So uh, Jim Humer, mm-hmm. who is a uh, is an older gentleman. Um, I think he first did the Royal Master Mason degree in 1976. He I first that to be true. Yep. Um, but he had some health issues, including like a stroke or two, yep. and um, and other people have done the work since then. Mm-hmm. And he offered to do it. And I never knew him when he was a young man. I only knew him when I see kind of a. This is polite. A more of a, a doddering mm-hmm. older person, older gentleman, huh? and 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 I, but I don't want to judge anyone. He said he could do it. He gave the most beautiful Royal Master Mason degree I have ever seen. He was only prompted twice for just one word. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're not a, if you're not in uh, council, the Royal Master Mason degree is as long or longer than the Master Mason degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's, it covers a lot, and it's, it, it's just, a, it's amazing how much work he. Jim, it's beautiful. Jim, too. Jim it's is a like a six-time past yeah. master of one of the Carlisle lodges. <clears throat> I'm not sure if it was um, 260 or the other one. You know, they merged recently. Um, but as you mentioned, he had some health issues, and he was so good at the Blue Lodge degrees. I was sharing this with the guys. He could tell you to the second how long it took him to confer a first degree, a second degree, and a third degree. He could say, you know, that, that's going to be 17 minutes and 42 seconds. And you could set your stopwatch, and he would be done with it in that amount of time. Um, and it was meaningful. Uh, I am so happy to hear that. That's great. Yeah, so he did a great job. Um, other kind of, like, positive news. Um, I was at the Valley of Reading, and I was invited to be on a long-range planning committee. And... Everybody, like, this is where the record skips sound effect. (laughs) I was the oldest person on the long-range planning committee at 50 years old. Wow. So, you know, hats off to uh, Harry Hackman, um, and uh, I hate to say it, but Jeff Moyer. No! 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 It's blasphemy. 
But um, I mean, yeah. Usually, when you get a po- you see a long range planning committee, it's guys in their seventies. Um, and how long is long range? Uh, you know, it just depends on their okay. cardio. Level. Usually, <laughs> usually that's the thing they ask me to be on. By the way, is that right? Um, also, I attended a practice for the Noble Order of Muscovites, mm. which uh, uh, on Groundhog yeah. Day I will be in the staff. I will be the czar. I'll be doing Ray's normal, it's Ray's part, but uh, I'll be the czar, so I'm practicing my bad Russian accent, my overly stereotypical generic, as if there's only one accent for, like, the whole Soviet bloc. <laughs> so that's me, you know. This and that, that's all I have. Um, and this past weekend, I did, uh, I went to the Hillbilly degree for the Shriners, and... Uh, we call it the pigskin playoff, and we all get to dress silly and have fun and raise a lot of money for Shriners Hospitals. Awesome. Josh? Uh, the only thing I've, I've done is the, uh, the annual officers workshop where we get told what the uh, agenda is for the coming year. That was it? That How'd was that it? go? Oh, I was all right. Good. Yeah. I mean, we talked about some of the stuff we talked about last, last episode. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So you were w- well in the know. Yeah, um, and I guess we have a uh, a practice coming up next Tuesday. Good, where we're gonna make sure all that's worked out. Oh, I guess one last thing, I did I did pop in for a hot minute to uh, midwinter convention for Tall Cedars of Lebanon. Um, I went to the secretary Gettysburg. in Gettysburg. I went to the secretary and treasurer's meeting, and I went home. That was it. So. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with our, our, our guest, Doug Maidenford, who uh, is going to talk about Groundhog Lodges and Freemasonry. Der Vonst. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster. All to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market. And a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse, or Valley Forge, in Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life, one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6020. Nine four. Just ask for Passmaster Dave. Hey, and we're back. Uh, so today on today's episode, we're going to talk to Brother Doug Maidenford, who grew up on a small farm in northern Berks County, Pennsylvania. Um, Cue the chickens. Is, he's, we did have chickens, that's right. Cue he's bilingual. <laughs> Pennsylvania Dutch and English. Ooh. And the joke is, and German and stupid too, so quadrilingual. <laughs> quadrilingual? Is that a thing? Um, he, I can't pronounce it, but he went to college somewhere where there's an umlaut in the... So he, he actually went to school in Germany for a little while. He's Mr. York Wright, and uh, anyway, 
Doug, welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Pete. So, um, so for the non, we all see we're spoiled. We grew up around here, or some of us did. So, um, you know, we're just kind of familiar with Groundhog Lodges. Um, just can you tell us a little bit about the Groundhog Lodge? Well, I think before we talk about that, just because I know you have listeners from all over the place, I think we need to talk about like real quickly what is Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, because you can't talk about the groundhog without the Pennsylvania Dutch. And for okay, most... we'll try this. Doug. Yeah. What does it mean by Pennsylvania Dutch? That's a great question, Pete. Thanks so much for asking. Um... <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> no, for anyone outside of southeastern and central Pennsylvania, whenever you hear the term Pennsylvania Dutch, you, know, you think of Amish, and because that is what Hollywood has told us. It's what you know, TV and media has told us. But really, if you, if you are in the area here in southeastern Pennsylvania, you know that that means a lot more. It's a term, I like to call it the umbrella term, and underneath that umbrella of Pennsylvania Dutch, there's all these groups. There's Amish, there's Mennonite, there's Lutherans, there's Reformed, you know, basically broken up by religious affiliation. And the Amish and the Mennonite, we all know because they base themselves off of, you know, their religious practices, why they, why they have buggies, why they dress the way they do, why they don't have electricity, or why they do have electricity. Um, but the unifying factor for all of these groups, no matter what they were, whether they're Lutheran or, or Amish, is, is, the, is the unifying language of Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, we're one of the oldest cultural groups here in America, and we're one of the few cultural immigrant groups that have maintained our language for over 300 years. You know, the general rule is first generation keeps a, a language after they've immigrated, but second, third generation, it's gone. You know, that assimilation factor's there. You've got to learn English. Um, but for whatever reason, we, uh, we stubborn Pennsylvania Dutch have maintained our language. And that's kind of where these groundhog lodges come into effect. Um, as Pete had mentioned earlier, a lot of Americans outside of Pennsylvania know Groundhog Lodge because... February 2nd, Punxsutawney Phil, this little groundhog out in western Pennsylvania, they hold him up and some guy in a top hat and an overcoat says, six more weeks of winter or spring's right around the corner. Lion um, bastard. Yeah, right. Sometimes he's accurate, sometimes he's not. But what most Americans don't realize is this tradition dates back to pre-Christian Europe. Um, if we look at uh, animals have often been used to foretell weather forecasts, particularly in the Rhine Valley of Germany, uh, there weren't groundhogs. Groundhog is a North American animal, so it was badgers. The Germans used badgers. And on the 2nd of February... Badgers? So, badgers. Yeah. Cue the badger sound. We don't need no stinking badgers. badgers. <laughs> oh, but you do. <laughs> I tell you what. I'll pick up a groundhog. I will I'm not, not pick up, up a badger. badger. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't recommend it. So when the first immigrant wave came over in the late 1600s, this tradition was there that on the 2nd of February, you, you looked at animals coming out of their burrows, and that would give you a, a relatively good estimate as spring around the corner is, or are there six more weeks of winter? And just so we're all clear, if he sees his shadow, he's scared and runs back into his hole. Six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't see his shadow, he stays out. Springs right around the corner. Just Which so is kind of counterintuitive. No, right. You think, oh, the sun's out. It's going to be springs right at the corner, but it's actually the opposite. See and, my previous comment about lion bastards. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, it's actually true. In the Rhine Valley of Germany, if the 2nd of February, if there's a high-pressure system, 70% of the time, spring will be early. It, it's, it's crazy. But that tradition came over. But when, the, when they got off the boat here in, in Pennsylvania, there were no badgers. <laughs> no stinking badgers. Uh, <laughs> but there were a crap load of groundhogs. So they adapted and said, well, we're going to use this now as our animal to predict the weather um so that's where that whole history comes from and uh in the 1930s is where we see the creation of groundhog lodges in southeastern pennsylvania uh a, a bunch of gentlemen who were predominantly masons at the Drunks. time 
uh, there might have been some of that, yeah, um, came together and said, here's this icon of our culture, of our history. Let's utilize it and have some fun with it. Um, so they created a system of 16 to 17 lodges spread throughout Berks <clears throat> County, Lebanon County, Lehigh, Carbon, even as far south as Bucks and Montgomery and Chester, where once a year around February 2nd, these guys would get together and they'd have a dinner. And Groundhog? No, no, you can't eat the groundhog. My goodness, no. <laughs> but every group had their own groundhog. And then they give their own weather prediction. So whatever Punxsutawney Phil says, that's Punxsutawney Phil. Um, all the other groundhogs around here have their own weather prediction. So there's no, there's no collaboration? None whatsoever. No. We have Calico Cal. That's right. In and, Africa, and in yeah. Myerstown, there's Union. I think it's Ollie. Ollie in, in, in Union in Myerstown or something like See, that. I was down figuring, in Christiana. So, I think like, another you know, yesterday in Major League Baseball, 99 out of 100 people voted for Derek Jeter. <laughs> yeah. There's the one guy there's that had to be guy. difficult. Yeah, and they're trying to figure out who that was because yeah. he's yeah. going to get kicked off the committee. Yeah, yeah so do you, I, was, I was thinking, like, is there like one guy? <laughs> that, one, one that one groundhog, one that's, groundhog. that's obnoxious. Yeah, sure. Well, groundhogs are funny animals. You know, they'll do whatever they want. Why? Why have they not figured out automobiles yet? They just don't get who, who, that, that they're going to lose that argument. Or, yeah, uh, groundhogs. Uh, groundhogs are the dominant. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, right. Groundhogs for different reasons. Groundhogs are going to lose the argument with the car every time. <laughs> oh, Why is in that, that sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't answer that question. And they Sorry, just Jack. wander out. Uh, <laughs> do. Well, Bam, well, the story that—that's the real p answer to the famous joke. Six Why more. did the chicken cross the road <laughs> to show the groundhog it could be done? Yeah. <laughs> All right, and Ladies back to our guest. Gentlemen, that justifies Masonic Light Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. Um, I'll go with you on that one. Um, so these Groundhog Lodges were started in the 1930s uh, by predominantly Masons. And what we realized, I think, or what I've come to the realization is, I think these guys, you know, imagine what Freemasonry was like in the 1930s. If you think it's kind of stuffy now, can you imagine what it must have been like in the 1930s? Just coming out of Prohibition, things were still pretty pretty straight-laced. And um, these guys came together, created this system of lodges where these guys could get together once a year, have a really nice meal, and then what you realize is that all of the lodges follow a certain protocol. So the, the meeting starts, there's... Um, they bring in the groundhog. There's, it's usually stuffed, of course. It's not live. And there's a procession. Uh, and then everybody sings the song. Wait, he's stuffed? Oh, yeah. It's kind of oh. like a haggis. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like But the, with birds there. A ground haggis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then everybody sings the song America, but in Pennsylvania Dutch language. We do a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. So you might start to see a, a, a pattern here uh, for all our brethren out there. Um, then we have a, a minute of silence for all our departed groundhog brothers in the past year there's a prayer uh and then we take a binding oath and obligation oh, where totally everybody in the room this. stands up and they assume the groundhog position by raising their paws up uh and then you every year somebody in the lodge is chosen with writing this oath and every year it's different and it's always meant to poke fun at it so you will promise i promise to shovel larry maris driveway every winter storm this year that might be something in there or i promise Ooh. to donate five dollars to the donald trump build a wall foundation things like that you'll see in these and they're, they're meant to be funny and then after that then we have a big meal um then there's usually some songs some skits performed in the dialect then there's lodge business we'll have a reading of the minutes of the last year's meeting and it's always poking fun at everything um 
Then the groundhog gives his weather prediction, which is always fun too. Uh, and then there's a main speaker that usually gives like a, a speech full of jokes and funny stories. And then there's a conclusion. And I think what most uh, – Bill Donner, Dr. Bill Donner at Kutztown University wrote a book recently called Serious Nonsense. Parties. Yeah. The Donner Party? Uh, yeah, yes. the Donner Party. Was it a buffet? Yeah. yeah. There were no groundhogs at that either. Uh, but he wrote a book all about this, and he makes the connection that he believes a lot of these early Freemasons in the 30s that got this to get, you know, brought these lodges together into, into idea was the fact that it gave these Masons an opportunity to kind of poke fun a little bit at Freemasonry too, because they do all the same things but in a in a fun fashion with lots of laughs. So, kind of like Grotto, possibly, yeah, a little, a little bit. So, so the the Groundhog has his own little tiny Grotto. So underground. he does. He does. Yeah. Now, it's true. And I know this as the uh, the husband of a uh, of an Anabaptist wife. Um, when you get into the Pennsylvania Dutch people, they're all vastly different politically, um, probably and socially too. So, are how have these lodges progressed? The lodge that I've the, the Groundhog Lodge that I know um, that has Octorera Orphy. <laughs> is more of a drinking, pro-drinking kind of establishment. Yeah, it varies. There's, currently, there's 17 lodges in Pennsylvania. There's one just being started in Germany in the region where where we come from, the Rhineland Palatinate. Um, and it's a hit or miss. Some allow alcohol uh, and some don't. And uh, the ones that allow, those guys partake. And the ones that don't, it's... Maybe it's missed by some, but most they people partake don't. too. Well, yeah, probably before or after, but not, yeah, not during. Um. <clears throat> okay. So Jack's got a mouthful of pretzels. He's grabbing the microphone. I'm like, oh, what? this is, this what's is... coming? So Wikipedia says that oh, no. uh, the oh, term, oh, uh, yeah, right, uh, groundhog and woodchuck are interchangeable. Is that correct? Yeah, as far as I know. In, in Pennsylvania Dutch, it's called the Grunsau, so oh, we can all Grunsau. learn that word tonight, oh, okay. the Grunsau. Is there an umlaut in that? That one does not have an umlaut. Does not have an umlaut? That okay. is umlaut-free. Okay. Because yes. okay. I don't know how to do that on my keyboard. So how much wood can a groundhog chuck? <laughs> <laughs> Depends how much he had before the meeting. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to just the Pennsylvania Dutch in general, um, is do you are you aware of any kind of connection with Freemasonry in any of the Pennsylvania Dutch? What I find extreme, yeah, absolutely. What I find extremely interesting is that, you know, when you look at Berks County, Lehigh County, Carbon County, there really was this island of a culture that were predominantly Pennsylvania Dutch, Pennsylvania German. The terms are interchangeable. And they kept to themselves because they were allowed to keep to themselves. They married within, they were questioned about outsiders coming into the communities. They were agricultural people. They lived off the land. And for the first 300 years of our history here in, in America, from 1683 when the first ship lands, even up until about World War I, that part of Pennsylvania was allowed to do its own thing, so to speak. The Pennsylvania Dutch were amongst themselves. But what I find interesting is you find Masonic lodges throughout all of that region of Pennsylvania still mm -hmm. today. And I think about the majority of these guys were, were farmers. And in the late 1800s, but yet they were joining an organization that brought them together where in maybe the only opportunity where they were meeting people that weren't Pennsylvania Dutch. Mm -hmm. So let's say in the city of Reading, where you had multiple lodges, you might have had farmers in areas of Shillington or, or just north of Reading that were coming in the lodge that were never coming in contact with English-speaking 
quote unquote English people, but on one night a month they did, and they were all brethren as they sat in that lodge room. And I always found that extremely interesting. That's the Pennsylvania cool. Dutch people did. There's no Pennsylvania Dutch speaking lodges in Pennsylvania. Now there are some German speaking lodges, but that's from a different uh, group of immigrants. That wave came okay. post Civil War. So, so the so those Anabaptists that were German speakers in this area at the time were joining Freemasonry. I can't say that about the Anabaptist group, but the groups that were Lutheran or Reformed, what today is the United Church of Christ, the more progressive, okay. those were the ones that were joining the lodges. Your Mennonites, your Amish, of course, never, because, I mean, part of their faith does not allow, they are not joiners of right. things. But, and there was a huge population of Lutheran and UCC and Calvinist Germans that mm -hmm. were here in southeastern Pennsylvania, and they were joining those Freemason mm -hmm. lodges, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. And they had influence, and not you know beyond Freemasonry. When we look at early American colonial American history, the first Speaker of the House, Frederick Muhlenberg, was a Pennsylvania German of the United States House of Representatives. Hmm. Was a German speaking Pennsylvanian. Oh um, wow! Did not know that. There's a lot of stories like that. George Washington referred to the Pennsylvania Dutch as the breadbasket of the of the colonies. We fed the colonial army as it fought in the Revolution because it was the richest soil, and we were the most prolific farmers. Of the of the colonies, we produced the most wheat, the most grain, and it We're fed prolific the breeders too. I we know. Were. Well, 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 that's my part family of it. history has a couple of generations that were twelve and thirteen. Right, but if but if you lived on a farm yeah. in the time period, which most people yeah. did, you needed those kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you needed them. Yeah. Well, because I mean, even locally, they because we couldn't own slaves. That's why. <laughs> that's, right. Yeah. Right. Well, you're going to lose one or two in a thresher. No, absolutely. Well, that that too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's true though. It's true. Yeah. I give up. I'm sorry. We still do to this day. I, I, I was a fire and ambulance dispatcher, so I used to get the calls. So, yeah. uh, so let's take a quick break, and we're yeah, going to come please. back, and we're going to hear more Doug, Doug Maiden for you. Thank you. Why choose George J. Grove and Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove and Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. back. Uh, our guest tonight is Doug Maidenford, and we're talking about Groundhog Lodges. And so, uh, Doug, during the break, uh, you were sharing with us your experience of the first time you went to a Groundhog Lodge meeting. Why don't you share that with our Oh, listeners? no, no. This is the first time I went to a, a Freemasons meeting. Oh, a Freemasons oh, so meeting. Okay, I, tell I'm, us that. I'm, yeah, so I'm very, I'm very Those blessed. Those guys are weird. Yeah, Those guys are, are real tell weird. Tell me about it. I was looking for the stuffed animals, and there were none. Um, 
So I'm lucky enough to be a fourth generation Mason. My great grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and myself, and my brother were all Freemasons. And um, I was going at that point. Pennsylvania was still 21 to become a member. So I had already. I was an undergraduate at college, and I petitioned my home lodge in Kutztown, where all of my family had belonged, and um, they set up a special. Uh, they did special meetings for me to come home from college during the breaks, get the degrees, et cetera, et cetera. So came home. It was great. My grandfather was there for my raising. My dad was there for my raising, all this stuff. And they said, now you can go visit any lodge you want. So I went back to college at Lock Haven, and they had a Masonic lodge there. So I thought, well, heck, I'm a master mason. I'm going to lodge. Put a suit on. I know nobody. I don't know anybody there. Knock, knock at the door. Going. I, knew, I found out online what night they met. And I walk in there, and, of course, everyone's like, who are you? I had my dues card, and I said, oh, you know, who I was. I was brand-new raised master mason. Um, here to attend lodge they said well we're gonna have to examine you because we don't know who you are and no one can vouch for you i said sure no problem so we go into this little side room these two older gentlemen very stately looking in their tuxedos (laughs) and i'm 21 i'm nervous as hell come on i mean it's like that first time and the guy says give me the word so i'm standing there and i just say it (laughs) because that's where my mind was Mm -hmm. i just said the word and the guy said I could throw you out of this building right now. And then I'm like, "Welcome to our lodge." Oh my god! And I'm like, "What?" And I said, "What did I do wrong?" He's like, "The other guy said uh, everything." And then, then the same guy that first said the, the first thing said to me, "Let's try this again. Give me the word." And then he did a certain body motion. And there's a proper way to do it. Yes. And then it was like click. Uh, and I did the right thing. Oh, yes. And then he said, come on in, brother. And I always remember that because that guy could have thrown me out that night, right then and there. Yep. And who knows what my Masonic career would have been after that. Maybe right. I would have had a sour taste, but I said, this isn't for me. But that guy extended a hand of, of charity and of compassion and of brotherhood. And here I'm sitting today on this podcast. And I, you know, a lot of it comes down to that. We have to remember that. that, that you, you bring up an interesting point, and that's the definition of charity. Yeah, it's not always giving, oh. mo- throwing money at a problem. Absolutely, it's it's excusing someone who doesn't know yeah. the right thing to do or the right way to do or the yeah. situation is beyond their control. That's a whole different definition of the word charity. Right, and we could go down a, that, that. That's a rabbit hole. We won't go down. <laughs> <Right>. but I, <laughs> not tonight, but some other night. But like, I could we list could the experience. The the I I have tons and tons of stories of men that. When they were new, somebody did something to rub them the wrong way, and yeah. they never came back. Yep. And you know, and then when they tell me, I'm like, "Oh my, that guy's a douche! Why? Like, why did you even listen to him?" We should have a night where we interview new guys, and then we can talk about what idea. a great idea! Wow, wow. we should what do that for idea. a show. We should maybe do that we in episode should... 92. Yeah, what? episode 92. <laughs> That'll give us a couple episodes to prepare for it. That's it. That's a great topic know, my, for episode uh, I, 92. Well, Boom. I didn't have any of these really negative experiences. Of course, I was raised in South Carolina. Maybe that's why, because they're yeah. all... It's well, they, they didn't have right shoes on. Yeah, they didn't get shoes till after the Civil right. War. But um, anyway, one of the things... <laughs> <laughs> Is that why they came to Gettysburg? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, like they had to come to Pennsylvania. For the yeah. farrier. Whoa. Yeah. They came to get shoes. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. I was more gro- true than not. But yeah. <laughs> Kentucky's the barely south. the South. Kentucky was on both sides. Right. So we couldn't make up our mind. Um, but anyway, I, I think it's also a misconception about the um, 
examination that you refer to, it's not to keep people out. It's right. to make sure you're qualified to come right. in. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. I think that one of the things that we should always be aware of as Masons is we, especially if we know the person is a brand new person, they're going to be a little nervous. Um, you know, don't be so stately. Don't yeah, nervous, be so nervous. Wasn't even the right word that yeah. night. I still, I still can feel it when I tell that story. I, I, I go right back to that room, and there I was, and I was literally like, I didn't know, I didn't know anybody there that night. It, I, and I'm, I'm proud of myself for going in the first place. So I absolutely, just, I could have yeah, just stayed in my dorm and sure. and spent the night doing whatever, playing video games or whatever. But I said, no, I'm going to go to a Masonic meeting. I'm right. a member now. Why not? And uh, that guy changed, and he later would go on to become a very influential person in my in my York Rite career. He installed me as past high, as high priest. He installed me as thrice lustrous master. He installed me as as oh yeah, don't hit the table. I don't thought he wanted to hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> he hold a hand out. I know yeah, you guys want to hold hands. Dude. Now Jack's on with no warm fuzzy. That's a different lie. Sorry. But, uh, no, but that guy would later go on to be a very influential person in my Masonic career, all because of it. Because I always went back to that. He could have done X, but he decided right. to do Y. So, I always yeah. tell new Masons that you can now go visit any lodge, you know. Um, you can probably get into Pennsylvania lodges pretty easily because we're, we're barely Masons. Well, we know our each other's stuff. No, but if you go out. We're ancient Masons. We're ancient. We're ancient. Yeah. If, if you go elsewhere, you might want to talk to somebody before you go because the questions are going to have slightly different answers. Than well, I, when I, I think I told the story when I went to North Carolina. Uh -huh. they, they, they said, uh, okay, uh, okay. Uh, oh, hell, do you have the secret word? <laughs> and that no, was they it. didn't that ask was, you that, that question. Was that was it. That was that all wasn't, We'll, we'll no, talk that about that it. off the air, that was but done. you're right. Yeah, that was it. I've so, had experiences in my travel because I've spent 130 nights a year on the road in the job I retired from. And so had an opportunity to visit a lot of different lodges. And a lot of times they would see my Pennsylvania dues card and they go, oh, hell, you're from Pennsylvania. Come on in. No. Because they know our stuff's different and chances are so, it's going to be different enough. I have a, I have, I have, I have, let's go back to the Pennsylvania Dutch thing. Yes. Yes, please. That's, that's the topic of our show. So, and I kind of learned this from my, from my in-laws when they kind of <clears throat> told me the history of the um, – of, uh, of the Amish and the Mennonites, and and for you guys that are not from the area, Anabaptists is the, basically. Is that the Amish and the Mennonite wars? <laughs> yeah, the Amish. <laughs> I mean, that the was Amish. the Amish. It was the Amish Irish wars. Um, but there's a river involved, right? <laughs> Tim got it. Yeah. yeah, there's a river involved. Yeah. So, but they kind of clued me in on the fact. So, for you guys out of the area, the the the, the thing that the Mennonites and the Amish, the Anabaptists, basically means adult baptism. So they, they, unlike my people, the Catholic people, they don't believe that you can just quick baptize a kid when they're Sprinkle little. Sprinkle some water on them when and they're little and no, call they, it good. No, they yeah. have to actually want to join the church right. as an adult. Right, Which later right. but that started in the 1600s when the, when the churches began because the very first generation of, of the Anabaptists had already been baptized. Right. And they were baptized again. And in the eyes of every other Christian in Europe at the time, that was blasphemy. That was heresy. Mm -hmm. And that's why they were persecuted so much. Right. I mean, and, and so burned the, and everything. Right. So yeah. they tell me these stories of, like, the persecution in, in Europe and even in the, in the United States as well. And of that is why they are not so trusting of outsiders. And they keep to themselves. Yeah, it, 
part of it, I think, is is historically in their DNA. I also think a lot has to do with their faith and, and what their faith tells them. When we were at dinner earlier tonight, I brought up this. I mean, the fact that what you have to remember about the Amish in particular is that they are in this world, but not of this world. And when we think about that from the faith perspective or from their faith perspective, it gives us a little bit more insight into maybe why they do the things that they do. Everything the Amish and the Mennonite do, particularly the Amish or Old Order Mennonite groups, is all based in their faith. They don't do anything willy-nilly. Um, now, you can argue that you know some bishops are more lenient than others or more progressive or liberal, but as a whole, every decision that's made is based somewhere in their faith. Yeah. What did you say earlier, Jack, about work? <clears throat> oh, that they don't really def- differentiate between work and life. Because if you're, if you're awake and you're living, then you, you might as well work. There's something to be done. Because there's something to be done. So whether, and, and, and everything that you have or own or possess is an asset to be used to, to, to generate income, um, which, which is something that's kind of... <laughs> completely foreign to my wife. Um, <laughs> oh, she's, oh, she's, she doesn't listen to the show. Does she don't listen to the show, okay, but good. no. <laughs> but 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 the idea is that um, it, I mean, cute story. Um, we had some friends who had a tobacco farm, and my and but they also had a bakery, and my wife had a had a market, and she went to get some bread to sell for them at the market. And they were. She said, "Where's Where's Jonas?" And 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 the the lady said, "Well, he's out planting tobacco." And she said, "Oh, my my husband always wanted to grow a, a couple tobacco plants. Did, do you think Do you think you know we could get a couple little tobacco plants?" Oh, sure. So she sent a couple of the kids out to you know to to get. She brought back a couple seedlings, five of them, little seedlings, not any longer than your pinky finger. And she said, uh, well, you know, I ought to charge you for those. They're five cents a hundred. <laughs> five, five, cent, five cents a hundred? I only need three. They're a nickel a piece? I'm, I'm coming all the way out here to get your bread to sell for you at my market? And you want to charge me a quarter for these five tobacco plants? Really? I'm sorry. All I have is a dollar. Give me 20 of them. (laughs) (laughs) And you're never invited back to the honest farm again. It was like, no. It was just, uh, oh, well, I only have these five. So, so, you know, I mean, it all came out and we're all friends. But... But it was just it was astounding that that sort of a, a, a window into the into the philosophy is it, it's an asset. Right. They paid for those seedlings. And, and if they're going to give them to you, they're going to charge you for them. And that's and it was OK. I mean, we it, it's funny now we tell the story, but but that's just a kind of a window into the culture. And, that, and that's into part of the culture. Yes. Right. In, yeah. Among the among the Anabaptist groups, I think there is some accuracy there. But when we talk about the other non Pennsylvania Dutch, the Pennsylvania Dutch brother, you might be sitting next to in Lodge if you're in Berks County or Lancaster like or Lehigh. Like Ed Stump. Um, <laughs> Love you, Ed. Love you. I think you will find, I mean, the Pennsylvania Dutch are stereotypically pretty frugal. Let's use that word. Um, But at the same time, uh, I think you'll never meet a more generous people. Now, that doesn't necessarily always apply to the the Anabaptist group, um, depending on where you are, of course. But 
they're generous in that point, but where it where it affects their business, they're very they're very straight. I think you'll find that with with the Amish and the Mennonite. That's yeah. true. That yeah. is. And when I say Mennonite, I'm talking more of the old order Mennonite, right. not the more progressive. I mean, there's Mennonites in Pennsylvania that drive cars. That I mean, my, my you wife know, has yeah, a Prius. You, yeah, yeah, right. You'd never know. We That's call right. them the out of order Mennonite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, but among the old order groups, yeah, I think that's there is there's value placed on things. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. My father wouldn't have charged you for tobacco plant as a Lutheran <laughs> and Pennsylvania they were Dutchman. awesome you know what we what we found out from that whole thing was that hummingbirds love, love oh, yeah. tobacco plants yeah. absolutely they yeah. do yeah. they were swarming them now I've got some I've got some useless groundhog trivia <laughs> and um, so I apologize because I know that like whatever groundhog you're associated with is the only <laughs> correct groundhog and all the others are imposters I understand that but we all, we know mostly about Puck's Tony Phil so, um, do we get to participate? Yeah, you can. This one's open to everybody. All right. So, um, we'll, we'll pause. Puxatoni Phil lives with three other groundhogs, mm. including his wife. Do you know his wife's name? Phyllis. It is Phyllis. Whoa! Or do you have the internet up, or what no, are you doing? No, I do, but I didn't I didn't know that question it, was coming. It is Phyllis. Huh? Why would it be Phyllis, right? Right. Phil and Phyllis. Phil and Phyllis. Okay, so I, I so let me get back, get to my question. All right, so, <clears throat> cha-ching. So um, I'll pose this question to Josh. Josh, no. <laughs> if a groundhog sees his shadow on February first, what does that portend? Hang on. Six more weeks of winter. Sixteen more weeks of winter. Spring is around the corner. Or D, Larry has to take a bath. D. I'm pretty sure it's D. Larry needs to take a bath. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Doug, would you give us the true answer to that question? So first off, February 1st, it wouldn't matter what the hell. The <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Damn. February 2nd. February 2nd. <laughs> uh, now, if that's the case, as mentioned before, if he sees his shadow, he runs back into his lair. Six more weeks of winter. Ooh. All right. <laughs> so this, okay. The celebration of Groundhog Day was derived from which holiday, Jack Harley? The Feast of Lupercalia? Beltiande? What was that? B-E-A-L-L-T-A-I-N-N Day. I don't know how to pronounce that. Doug, do you know? No. So So I guess that's not the answer. That's not it. The other one was Wolves, so it's not Uh, either of those two. Candlemas Day or Fashnot Day? Oh, it's Fashnot Day. Uh, Doug, no, uh, it's, it's, it's Candlemas. Candlemas. Uh, you're wrong. And what does that stand for? No, you're wrong. Uh, yeah, it was an early Christian holiday. No, you're wrong. Light. No, yeah, well, I'm, no, you're I'm wrong. wrong. You're right. You're wrong. Um, but we can. <laughs> but, we can <laughs> but we can talk about Fosnock Day because because yes. uh, it's donuts. Donuts. <laughs> so do you? Do, what do you know about about Fosnock Day? <laughs> Apparently not as much as Jack Harley does. Really? Uh, yeah, baby. Have, have you done it? So 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 Doug does um, educational videos on Pennsylvania Dutch. <laughs> Obviously, have you done Jack one? hasn't watched them. Have you done one on Fashnot Day? Yeah, uh, I do a video that teaches you how to make them um, and the history behind them. So Fosnock Day oh, is... Oh, wait, wait, uh, can you please um, go out and leave the room and, come, and have your brother come back the, and, who speaks Pennsylvania Dutch? That's a really thick accent, you mean. Or yeah. you're in Pennsylvania Dutch. We can yeah. do either or. Well, no, just a heavy okay. accent. So, we're back. And we're back. And, and we're back. How's everybody doing out there not a night, huh? Oh, yeah, they're fine there. So tell us a little bit about what's a Fosnock. Fosnock's a kind of donut. 
It's made from potatoes. You know those things that grow in the ground. Uh, so you you take them out and you you boil them, you cook them, and then you make mashed potatoes out of it. And then you add a little bit of flour and a little bit of some kind of some kind of fat. Lard's the best because you want a little pig in there. Pig's good, you know. It makes flavor. Or as we say, it makes makes taste. Makes it taste. Now a little bit of salt, and you 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 rum that around in a big bowl, you know. And it gets a big dough, and then you roll that out like you're going to make, I don't know, cookies or something. And then you cut it. Now, that's usually what my wife does. And then I'm out in the garage with the fat. We're frying. I'm a fryer, baby, on Fosnock Day. And then I'm out there, and I, the, the old lady and my wife brings the donuts out, and then I put them in the fat, and we fry them, and they get nice and brown and pluff, puffy. That's when they're the best. Did you say... Did you say puffy? Puffy. Puffy. You know, when you, the outside's kind of brown, but the inside's still soft. That's how it is, you know? And it, it's, it's quick, man. You can't mess around. Don't mess around with your foster because they'll burn. And you get them out of the fat and you let them cool. Don't eat them right away. You'll burn yourself. And then there's, there's a couple different ways you can eat them. Now, you can eat them plain. Those are the weirdos that do that. But you can roll them in sugar. That's for the wussies out there that like that. But what I like to do and what's really traditional... You take some butter. And I don't mean oleo or margarine. That stuff's fake. That's margarine, half plastic. Margarine. margarine. That's plastic. You throw that stuff out. You get butter. Now, the real stuff, you know, from cars. And you bring that in. You smear that on the inside of this Fosnock. And then you get some table syrup. Now, those of you outside of Pennsylvania, you have no freaking idea what table syrup is. You think we're just going to grab some log cap and syrup. Well, that's not the same thing. That's fake, too. Fake news. You can, you can use maple syrup, but that's what the New Englanders do, and they're not real people anyway. You get this table syrup. There's this stuff here in, in Pennsylvania called Schlur's Turkey Table Syrup. That's the stuff to get. You buy that stuff in the grocery store, you bring it home, and you smear that on that Fosnog, and then you put it together like a sandwich. Boy, are you going to have a good time. You chow into that with a good cup of coffee, you're good for the rest of the year. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And it's good luck, right? Sure. Because the next day's Ash Wednesday. And you don't mess around because then it's Lent. And you can't eat any of that good stuff. So you got to eat it on the, the day before. Fosnock day, the day before Ash Wednesday. So fat, I'm, I'm fat still Tuesday. stuck on the word schmear. I, I just, because my oh, wife is Jewish, schmear. so I got yeah, bagels in my, yeah. I guess. Yeah, what most people Yiddish. don't know is that the Anacostia, Anna, what those Jew people, the Jews from <laughs> the Jews. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We're going to get cold. That's what you wear on your feet, right? Chews? Chews. <laughs> no. This is a, this is a learning oh, no. opportunity. This is an educational opportunity. Oh, help me. Yiddish. Send all correspondence to Lockheed and Masonic Law. I'm not a member there. You can send whatever you hey, want. Go, go, we, we have some education will come. Oh, wait. So Yiddish, yeah. the dialect of Yiddish, oh, yeah. was developed in these, this area of Germany where we come from. Germany. So That's they were... C-H-E-R-M-A-N-Y. M-A-N-Y. Yeah, right along yeah. the Rhine River. That's oh, that yeah. water that goes up from Switzerland the all water, the way to... Yeah, the water, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So Bonst. the... There was a big group of Jewish people that lived there in the long, long, long time ago. Jews. And that's when this, this Yiddish developed. That's why Pennsylvania Dutch speakers can understand Yiddish no problem. We share words like putz, like schmear, like, well, there's tons. Fahudult. 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 Yeah, for, for clamp. sure. For clamp. Clamped all these oh, things. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, okay, so do you know about the Pennsylvania Dutch tradition of uh, around here always bugs me that on New Year's Day, People have to eat sauerkraut. What, for sure? 
So do you What's know? What's up with that? So the re- I mean, I, I, yeah, this is Dutchy. Dutchy Doug is still on the microphone. Dutchy Doug. Dutchy Doug. So the reason we eat pork and sauerkraut, well, there's everything has a reason for the Pennsylvania Dutch. You eat pork. That's what's most important. You eat pork because now listen, how does a pig eat? Now, if you didn't grow up on a farm, you don't know these things, and I'll tell you a joke later, but how does a pig eat? It rutches its nose forward as it eats. <laughs> Thank it you. goes forward. How does a chicken eat? Why, it scratches backwards. Now, think about it. You're going into the new year. How do you want to be? I want to rutch. You want to rutch front, baby. You yeah, don't want right. to scratch back, <laughs> so you got to have pork. Okay. And why sauerkraut? Well, there's a couple different answers. A, if you lived on a farm in 1870, what did you have at January that was still in the cold cellar that you could eat? Cabbage. Cabbage that was made into sauerkraut back in the fall. <laughs> sure. Plus, cabbage starts as something green. Green associates itself with money. Good luck, baby. So that's why. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Dutchy Doug, what was the joke? These two city slickers from Philadelphia came up to Dutch country one time and said, hey, this Pennsylvania Dutch pork is delicious, but I'm tired of paying all the money for it. Let's buy two pigs, and we'll take them back to Philadelphia, and we'll raise them ourselves and cut out the middleman. Sounds like a good idea. These two guys drive up to, oh, I don't know, somewhere outside of Kutztown, and they buy these two pigs. And they put them in the back of their truck, and they're going down the northeast extension of the turnpike back to Philadelphia, bumbling. Well, I don't know if you know this, but pigs... Pigs sometimes fight with each other. Well, son of a gun, these two pigs start fighting at each other. And they quick pull over the truck the side of the road, and the gun guy gets out and notices that the one pig had bit the other one's ear, the tip of the ear off. And he gets back in the truck. He goes, jeez, this is what happened. How are we going to tell whose pig is whose? Like, which one's yours? Which one's mine? The other guy says, I got a great idea. And he jumps out of the truck, jumps in the back, takes his pocket knife out of his pocket, and nips the other pig's <laughs> ear off. So now it's, oh, they both got nipped ears. Great, down the road they go. Bumbling, bumbling, bumbling. These pigs start fighting again. Son of a gun. Now the one pig went and nipped the other one's tail part way off. And the other guy says, now nah, what are we going to do? I know what we'll do. He jumps out of his truck, nips the other one's tail off. They get back in the truck. Now we go. Down the road they go. And after a while, they go fighting again. And now they're like, what are we going to do? And finally one guy says, I'll tell you what, let's make this easy. You take the white one, I'll take the black one. Okay, everybody, Doug teaches children. <laughs> this is scary. So, you know, he's a school teacher. Dutchy Doug doesn't show up in the Dutchy. classroom very often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know another joke? <laughs> I'm not so sure I can take it. If you go to a, a Groundhog Lodge meeting, these are the types of jokes you hear. So, but they'd be in Pennsylvania Dutch, but, sure. yeah, well. Oh. All right, so... Um, you got some more trivia? Larry. <laughs> Please help us. Where does Puxatawney Phil make his predictions? Now, wait till the end. Don't, you know... Uh, a, Gobbler's Bog. B, Gobbler's Knob. C, Turkey Ridge. Or D, Moyer's Mobile Home. Oh! <laughs> I think it's Moyer's Mobile Home. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Doug, so you're a history buff. You'll know this one. In 1981, Puxatawney Phil wore something special. Was it a fez? Was it a yellow ribbon, a Masonic Lake podcast t-shirt, or a members-only jacket? (laughs) 
You know, I honestly have to admit, I'm not quite sure in this, but I'll, I'll go with Fez just because. I knew this. Uh, yeah, you're young. You're younger than us. I was one year old in 1981, so. Tim, uh, what was going on in our country Tony in Tony Orlando, what's the answer? Oh, there we the go. The hostages literally yeah. had just been released uh, from Iran uh, on Groundhog Day of that year, and so yeah. in honor of those hostages, Phil wore a yellow ribbon. How about that? Son of a gun. Alrighty, and um, let's see. I haven't asked you a question yet, have I, Tim? Yeah, I got Phyllis. <laughs> All right, Jack. Oh, jeez. Jack. What is Puxatawney Phil's real full name? Philip of Puxatawney, predictor par excellence, and prophet of the people. Puxatawney no. Phil, purveyor of predictions, producer of podcasts, <laughs> Groundhog. Oh, sorry. Let me find the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> he turned the wrong page. Paper pusher of Punxsutawney. Uh, wow, where did the rest of that go? Oh, Lord. Prognosticator is in there somewhere. I don't know what the heck happened. See, this is what happens when you let your paper print, print both to both sides. sides. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, I, for, I don't have the okay, answer. Josh, it's... buzzer sound, please. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. Prognosticator prog- of prognosticators. Pro- yeah, there you go. That's Sage of sages. Mm. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> whistle pig of wanderers. Uh, do you know why they call it whistle pigs? I don't know. Tell me why. Well, they can actually whistle. Yeah. What? They do yeah, whistle, yes. especially um, Only in, at hot br- girls. in breeding season. Yeah. And, that hot girl. And, and I was hot wrong. Girl, whistle hot girl. And I was wrong. I used to think, because I had a guy who told me I was groundhog hunting when I was a kid, and this old man would like whistle really loud. He was one of those weirdos that could like do the crazy yeah, whistle. with the teeth. And uh, and then all of a sudden, like this groundhog, like prairie dog's up, like whoop, sticks his head way up, and then blam. Bam. <laughs> so I thought whistle pig meant, I mean, you whistle and they pop up. But nope. it's, no, they actually whistle. Yep. Did any of you here ever eat a, eat a groundhog? Not intentionally. I have not, but I know a lot of, um, in my area, uh, some people that used to work for my dad would eat them. Years ago. I was 14 or 15. They would oh soak Lord. them in, they would put them in a bucket, like yep. for a while, gotta, to like, I guess, draw some of the yep. flavor yeah, out. Yeah, sulfuric acid to dissolve uh, them uh, into a paste. A neighbor of ours. <laughs> and they would shot rodent. one. <laughs> he soaked it, he put it in brine and all that kind of stuff, and the next day he put it in one of those great big cast iron cauldrons in the front yard. With a big fire on it, cooked it for about twelve hours, and we were going down to his house that night for a picnic and have some groundhog. That's twelve hours. Twelve, twelve, 12 hours. hours. Yeah. And we got there, and he's pulling this thing out, and it was still, it was green. It was it moving. Was absolutely green. <laughs> it was so bad. Nobody, nobody tasted it. it the water like was green. It was green. Oh, the Lord. damn dogs wouldn't go near it. We ended up burying it. <laughs> okay, thank you, Larry. We had hot dogs instead. <laughs> okay, it's a super fun. So site this is now. the first question is easy. Does anyone know where this is a real groundhog, Buckeye Chuck, where he's located? Columbus, Ohio. 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 Oh, okay. What about General Beauregard Lee? Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Are you are you a groundhog savant? <laughs> <laughs> Beauregard, that's Wicca, a southern you name. You read Wikipedia, didn't you? No, it's definitely, a southern definitely name. Definitely Beauregard. Definitely Beauregard. Go ahead. That's all I got. You're, you're, Man, I'm blowing these away. Oh, dude, you're ruining the whole <laughs> comedy bit here. Pete is sad. <laughs> Doug, thank you so much. Um, I, I love it. <laughs> Doug, um... <laughs> 
So anyway, tell. Do you have anything else to offer us about Groundhog Day? Because it's next weekend. Yeah, it's coming up. No, I, it, so it's, you have a title. You actually have a title in the Groundhog Lodge. What? No, I'm. I'm. Uh, I don't have an official title. I'm. I'm one of the few uh, younger people that can still speak the dialect. So. I get called often to go and speak at these at these events because a lot of the older guys that used to do it are, well, either dead or really old. Um, so I'm speaking at three different engagements this this spring at three different Groundhog Lodges, one in Likens and one in Schnecksville and uh, Kreskyville. These are out in like Lehigh and Carbon County areas, um, and I look forward to that. I'm always I always uh, am honored when people ask me to come talk and. Uh, yeah. Wait, Schnecksville. Is Schnecksville. that something deep fried? So I, I'm very confused, but we, there's, a, there's a little tiny bar here in Lancaster called Valentino's. Okay. Obviously Italian-sounding bar. Mm-hmm. Um, they somehow have developed a tradition that every Groundhog's Day, they have a huge party and they have a parade. And they have cars that line up and drive around Lancaster around their block. Yeah, not like, <laughs> you know, it's not like downtown. Not downtown. Dom Tom, yeah, Dom-tom. and uh, I mean they'll have at this little local bar, and they'll fill out to the parking lot with a tent, <coughs> like hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Um, so I just want you to know that Groundhog Day is alive and well in Lancaster County. Long- it is. It's crazy when you think about it. You buy any calendar anywhere in the United States, and Groundhog Day is on that calendar, whether you're in Oregon or Kansas or Pennsylvania. It's 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 crazy, really, when you think about it. Um, but the Pennsylvania Dutch, you know. All joking aside, were I mean major contributors throughout all of American history. Whether we were the group that hid the Liberty Bell from the British during the Revolution, uh, to the farmers that fed us during the Revolution, to soldiers that fought in the Civil War, to to the uh, Hessians that to shot the Hessians us. that well yeah well they eventually came to our side afterwards. Um, but you know there were a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch that served in World War II as interpreters when we with captured uh, German soldiers. The the history is rich. The Pennsylvania Long Rifle, Conestoga Wagon, all these things. America wouldn't be what it is without the, the, the Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah. And cigars. I mean, you guys are big cigar smokers. The Pennsylvania Dutch are. You you told a really neat story about a um, someone you know that was involved in World War II. Was a soldier um, and survived. Right. Could you tell our audience briefly about that? Sure, sure. Um, So I did my graduate work at Millersville University. I know Pizza graduate there too. Um, And when I was there, I got interested in like doing something with Pennsylvania Dutch, and I was introduced to Dr. C. Richard Beam, who's a a local Pennsylvania Dutch, well, one of the experts. He just recently passed away. And I was at his house one time, and he told me this story. He was drafted into World War II. He was a little farm boy from Lancaster County, grew up speaking Pennsylvania Dutch, and got sent to Germany to fight uh, in the later part of the war during during the Battle of the Bulge. And he and his buddies were somewhere on, you know, near the front lines, seeing quite a lot of action. And a group that he was with had captured some German officers. And there was nobody in the group that could speak German, at least nobody knew. And the captain came and was like, does anybody here speak German or can understand German? And Dick raised his hands and said, well, yeah, I I understand it's Pennsylvania Dutch. Maybe I could help you. And he pulled him out and they took him back to this house somewhere in France or Belgium where these German officers were being held. And Dick translated, uh, and they got a lot of really important information from these officers. In the meantime, while he was gone, his buddies that he was with all got wiped out uh, in fighting. So he always made the state that speaking Pennsylvania Dutch saved his life that day. Um, and there were a lot of uh, Pennsylvania Dutch soldiers that got shipped over the first time ever leaving the farm, and here they are in this big war. Um, and there's a lot of stories like that that we don't, we don't know, sadly, or that haven't been maintained. But they're out there, you know. Well, we need we need to write that movie. Right, exactly. And cash in. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's take a quick. Oh, Tim's giving me the break sign. 
Larry's uh, about to. Let's take a quick break. Larry's got to pee, and uh, we'll be back, and we'll wrap up news. with the news. It's time for the Lodge Business Brief with Brother Jim Stevens. Well, again, Masonic Light Podcast listeners, this is Jim Stevens with another Lodge Business Brief. The identification of the Lodge's customer may seem like an odd exercise, but it is one that may help focus the Lodge's efforts. The identification of a customer is ideally done in concert with the adoption of a core purpose. The two concepts have a symbiotic relationship. As such, it is hard to have one without the other. If customer is a term that does not meet your liking, think of it more in terms of the people you are working to help, perhaps even constituents or stakeholders. In short, whatever your lodge is doing, it is doing to help a group of people. Who are they? In order to succeed, a lodge needs to identify that group and stay focused on them through all of its decisions. For example, if the lodge's core purpose and goals boil down to raising 10 brothers this year, then the customer base are men who are not Masons. However, that may be too broad, so the lodge may decide to provide additional focus by, for example, age, location, or special interests. Affinity Lodges have a clearly defined customer group, and thus a focused recruitment effort. Once the targeted group is defined, the Lodge can better decide how to reach them and then provide targeted marketing, networking, and outreach. The exercise of determining the customer should also be done for all sub-functions. The Almoner's Fund and degree work are obvious, but who is the customer of Masonic education, blood drives, and pancake breakfasts? For example, it is unlikely that everyone in your lodge wants as much Masonic education as they can get. So the presentation should have a targeted audience. An education speech can be customized to the needs and knowledge base of those brothers who want to hear it. Don't be rude or uninviting to the rest of the brothers, but stay focused on the defined customer. For any event, if the people in charge of the event take a few extra moments to define the customer of that event, they will then be more able to focus the event towards that group. The thought and debate around defining the customer will ensure everyone in the group fully understands the core purpose and the related goals. In the end, it reads like this. This is why we exist. This is why we are doing what we are going to do. And this is who we are going to do it with and for. Additional ideas on the identification of a customer can be found in my book, Lodge Business, the theoretical application of entrepreneurial business practices to the Blue Lodge, available on Amazon. This is Jim Stevens with your Lodge Business Brief. Symbols with symbologist Michelle Snyder. Eye symbols unlocked. Understanding eye symbols is part of our golden key. Most creatures have eyes, and eye contact holds special allure. In a glance, information about the owners of the eyes travels between them on invisible waves of light. Perhaps this is why the eye is a symbol of mental vision, and eyes are associated with the spirit. The eye also represents limitations of the visible. From Odin to the Great Seal, the one-eye symbol appears in many cultures. This symbol provokes suspicion, invokes wisdom, and whispers mystery. Even today, it is considered sacred or sinister depending on the viewer. A single eye is symbolic either of evil destructive power or enlightenment. Referred to as the all-seeing eye, it is generally a symbol of the watchful and protective power of the supreme being. 
This symbol appears in Freemasonry, where it represents the great architect of the universe. But it is a very old symbol, denoting one who is master of astronomy. When enclosed by a triangle, it is sometimes interpreted as the eye of God who keeps watch on humankind, yet some believe it is a symbol for the new world order. Also called the eye of providence, in the Bible it is a symbol of God's omniscience and protective omnipresence. Since antiquity, one-eye symbols have been attributed with the ability to ward off evil. The eye on the hand of Fatima protects against the effects of the evil eye, which is a manifestation of envy. Two-eye symbols signify normality. Traditionally, the right eye denotes the sun, the active, and future, while the left denotes the moon, the passive, and the past. A third eye symbolizes superhuman or divine nature and is associated with fire. Buddhism recognizes the third eye as a symbol of inner vision, and Buddha is regularly referred to as the eye of the world. Multiple eyes can refer to nighttime, and when depicted with a myriad of stars, the possessor of the multiple eyes is in the dark. Many eyes can also denote one who sees in all directions, as was the case of Argus, the faithful watcher, one who could see past and future. Eskimos call shamans and seers the people with eyes. It is said that eyes are windows to the soul and are reflective of a person's health and intelligence. Phrases like a bright idea or a brilliant mind stem from our associating light with intelligence. This dates back to prehistory at a time when one who could read the stars, the lights, was extraordinary, wise, and influential. They became enlightened ones depicted with rays emanating from their heads. The word enlightenment has the word light in it. In every culture, the eye, the ability to see, is a powerful human component evidenced by the symbolism that surrounds it. Next time, we will investigate another part of our golden key, the gavel's power. If you'd like to take a deeper look, be sure to check out Michelle's book, Symbology Revision. A link for purchase can be found on the Freya Foundation website. That's freafoundation.net. While you're there, take a look at some of Michelle's other works and find out more about the Freya Foundation and its mission to research and publish the Ensman Archives. And we're back. Um, did you guys get the snap too? That's awesome. Awesome. I love it when so that happens. so here. <laughs> Doug, thank you so much for, for making the trek in from State College. We really appreciate it. You... Uh, we actually legitimately laughed. It's a fun which, show. Oh my goodness! Usually fun these show. guys make me cry, not, <laughs> not in a positive way. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more about Groundhog Lodges, uh, go to uh, groundhoglodge.org, um, or you can go to Doug's website, which is padutch101.com. Or he has a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash D Maidenford. And I did post one of those on the on Masonic Lake Podcast Facebook page earlier. It, it, it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, and I'm not going to give his cell phone out of the air, over the air, but maybe. 
Oh, do it. Do it. No, but I would also Don't recommend anyone that's interested in learning more about the language, please visit masthovepress.com. That's a local family uh, press here in the Lancaster area where I have children's books that are bilingual, both in English and Pennsylvania Dutch. Also a grammar book on there so you can learn about learning about the language of Pennsylvania Dutch. But check all that stuff, that, and that stuff's all available on my website you, as well. You can buy you the publish books, too. Yeah, I have five or, six, five or six books now. What do you, we what did you not give him a chance to plug I'm a high books. school teacher in German and history are my degrees. Oh. And then I adjunct at Penn State when necessary, when they, when they nice. need me, so to speak. Oh, just oh. Like, like our friend Chris Ronke. <laughs> Cash grab, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> so if you had to say something to our fans in Germany, what would yeah. you say? Both so, of them. Um, yeah, um, guten Abend, meine Damen und Herren in Deutschland, und wir willkommen euch zu den Masonic Light Podcast. Uh, viele brüderliche Grüße aus Pennsylvania. Wow, I really like Man in the High Castle. That's really? awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, there, if there's listeners from the Netherlands, good day. And the Masonic Light podcast says hello. I think he just spit on our table. I don't know. I'm spit is sure. a sign of love in the Netherlands. I don't know if you know that or not. Just like Scrapple. They eat like 3,000-year-old fish that are like just festering. With waffles. <laughs> hey, it's time for the news with Jack Harley. No, with our brother, Walter Cronkite. Hey, oh. there we go. Brother Walter Cronkite, would you help us out with some news? I There's music. In Masonic news today, impe- impeachment proceedings have begun against the reigning monarch of Ubar Grotto. Prophet monarch Jeff Fulton has been accused of abusing his authority in ordering Prophet Scott Helm to clean up his bloody Facebook Eventbrite page, or risk withholding of future adult beverages. Much like other impeachment proceedings, nothing will change, and whatever happens, the membership will order another adult beverage and continue acting like chimpanzees. That's the Masonic news. So moted once. <laughs> oh my goodness, Tim! Oh, what's coming up in the near future, Masonically, goodness. or for anybody else that you know? Well, uh, f- coming up for me, actually... Well, this Saturday, I'll be going to this meat fest. <laughs> Tell That's us, right. Tim. Yeah. What this will you Saturday, be doing, this, Tim? This Saturday, I'll be taking Amtrak up to New York, New York City Pete will to, be taking Mariner's Lodge, up to Mariner's Lodge to eat a lot of meat and spend 150 bucks to eat a lot of meat. Um, Saturday, February 1st, I will be the czar in the uh, Noble Order of Muscovites degree. March 13th at the Valley of Reading. Once again, I'm going to steal the show as the Knight Stewart Orator in the Feast of the Paschal Lamb. And uh, that's all I got. What do you got? So uh, this Saturday, um, since there's no snow (laughs) predicted, I will be in Hop Bottom, Pennsylvania, uh, conducting a secretary's training. Um, The night before, I will be in Clark Summit at the Cigar whatever the cigar place there is. It is like the best cigar lounge ever. Um, there'll be a group of us up there Friday night if you're in the area, but you won't hear this show till after we're there. So I'm matter. a married man, so I, I, I'm just asking this for educational purposes. Uh-huh. There's no women that go there, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> ever? Actually, no, there are. There actually really? are, yeah. Hot bottom, H-O-T. Hop. He's talking about at the cigar place. Hop oh. Bottom. Oh, hop bottom. It sounds like a, somewhere you go in grinder. It's a little town in the middle of. It's a, if you go to Binghamton, New York, and back up about 15 miles, you're there. 
Uh, that's the easiest way to describe it. Uh, those that live up in that area, God bless them. Um, it's a long way f- off from here. Do you know uh, the American? It's a hockey- long way to Walmart. From Do there. you know the American Hockey League team from Binghamton? <clears throat> yes, the Binghamton Americans. The Whalers. The Whalers. Okay. Or at least it was back when the Hartford Whalers were alive. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, coming up the first week in February, um, we believe there will be perhaps a couple of us at Masonic Week in Arlington, Virginia. I will be there. Come I, see me. I will be there as well. Uh, and I, I don't want to do anything, so I'll be sitting in the bar area with microphones. So that's come see at me. the Hyatt Regency in Arlington, Virginia, in Crystal, Crystal City. City. All right, are you guys um, really going? So Friday and Saturday, come on yeah. down. Say hi. We'll talk to you. Um, and then uh, we'll be back for another recording after that. I've got a stated meeting on the first Monday. Um, got a great program coming up. Uh, actually uh, coming off of one of What's our... What's the program? It is the connections between scouting and Freemasonry. Uh, that was a spinoff of a show we did here. Um, one of the brethren uh, has taken that mantle up and created a nice little program. So, Larry... Take us, out, take us out of here. Oh, you didn't want to know anybody else? You didn't know what I was going to do. Oh, does anybody do? have anything else going on? Oh, yeah. I do. Oh, God. Larry, tell us, what, what, tell us oh, about we, breakfast. I have, no, we have grotto. We have grotto coming up. We do. Have Larry's grotto. having a colonoscopy. We have, tall, we have tall cedars coming up, which I'm going to both of those items. Well. And the first Tuesday in February, we will have our lodge meeting, unless it snows. And you'll still have the lodge meeting this time. No, well, great. Now I don't even yeah. get to talk about. Thanks, yeah. Larry. Yeah, thanks, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. Jack, do you have anything going on? No. Josh, Larry stole it. <laughs> can I say? Can I say one more thing, real uh, quick? Doug, you at, have totally <laughs> had the microphone. At dinner tonight, uh, Jack brought up this really great idea, and I'm going to throw this out so everybody can hear it. If you are in a lodge yeah. in a town that has a college. Whether it's Penn State, Kutztown, wherever, when Kutztown. they have when they have their you know parent orientation or their family weekend, set up a table. What a great idea Jack had, and I think it, it's a great way for lodges to reach out to those families, uh, and you know maybe you'll get a new. If your son or daughter has too much to drink, call Bob. He yeah, lives he'll up come the drive him home. No, but I think it's a great Even outreach. So. It's I'm a, serious. No, right? Yeah, it's a great outreach idea. Honestly, I I, I would encourage any any lodge in, in anywhere that's in a college town or located near a college town get a get a table set up at a family weekend or an orientation weekend. Let the record show Jack had a good. That, idea. that was Jack's idea. Yep. Even a drunk pig finds yeah. an acorn. Uh, Larry, Larry, I, Doug has to drive seven hours. I'm ready. I'm ready. If yeah. it takes me seven hours, we're in serious trouble. <laughs> is, is this a one horse or a two horse trip? This is a possibly two and a half. This is we'll a four a cable tow trip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, we'll start over with the music. All right, ah, here we chance. go. Special thanks to Effort Lodge 665, and I know that drives Jeff Moyer crazy. 665. Whatever, 665. Uh, Special thanks to our producer, director Josh Lamberton for the fine work he always does. Jack Harley, our news director. To our uh, Masonic Light contributors, Jim Stevens and Michelle Snyder. And to a whole host of people, our Patreons, who help make this show possible as well. I'm going to close because I want to say that I love February because it contains two of my favorite annual events, Groundhog Day and the State of the Union Address. One involves a meaningless ritual in which we 
look to a notoriously unreliable mammal for prognostication <laughs> with no basis in reality, and the other one involves the groundhog. Yes! Uh, yes! Uh, uh, this is Larry. Good night. Thanks for listening. Larry, I don't know who you plagiarized that from, but I approve. Amen. That's great. This is Tim. <laughs> and Jack. And Josh. Doug Manfort says, Mox good. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing to add. Thank you. Bye, everybody.